You can go ahead and have a seat. Have a seat. Is anybody else excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Come on. What better place to be than to be right here in His presence? I just want to welcome you, especially if this is your first time. My name is Andy Ramirez. If you're watching online, let's give it up for those who are watching online one time. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, my name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here, and it is such an honor to serve with you all, to serve with the Dream Team here. We just opened as a church January 23rd, so I think as of tomorrow, how many is that, four months? Come on, we can clap for that. That's amazing. I hope I got that right, four months. Just to see the Lord on the move and to just see the life transformation, I just want to welcome you again. If this is your first time, I hope you just know that you belong here. You belong before you even believe here, that even if you walked in, you're like, hey, I don't know what I believe about church yet. I'm, I'm kind of still figuring out where I'm at. I want you to know that before you even thought of who Jesus even was, he already said that you have a place at his table. You have a place in his family. He said that you belong. And we have this banner back here. And we intentionally put it here. It says, welcome home. It's not just us saying, hey, welcome home. I'm glad you're here at this physical location. Really, it's the Lord saying, every time you come back to his presence, welcome home. Welcome home. Even if you feel like you made the worst mistake of your life a few days ago, welcome home. You're back with the Lord. You're back here in his presence. And we don't want to just welcome those who maybe this is your first time, but we always say this word unleash. Everybody say the word unleash. Because I love you so much as your pastor, as your leader, that God didn't send me up here to tell you things that are popular or cool or the newest, greatest teaching. The Lord called me to be up here to let you know what the Bible really says. In love. And I promise to you, whether you're watching online or in the room, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I want you to know what the word really says because we live in a day and age where I don't know about you, but I can tell people are craving the pure word of God. Like, let's not dance around the bush. Let's not like do a little dance in a game. Like, let's just get right to the point. Is that okay this morning? Awesome, awesome. Let's pray as we jump into the word. Father, I thank you that your word is alive and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. Lord, your word is different than any text known to man, and that's why we pause before we open it up, before we look at what the verses say. It's different than any text. Other books we would just open up and just start reading, but Lord, your word is different because it's alive. So we take a reverent posture I just challenge you, those in the room, those watching online, if, you just, if you're open to hearing from the Word of God, would you just open up your hands as a sign of surrender to say, Lord, I, I'm just open. With our hands outstretched, Lord, my prayer is that you would hide me behind your cross, Lord. That you would help me get out of the way. That the message that you want to speak through the power of the Holy Spirit, through your Word, would be spoken clearly, boldly, directly, that it would speak to the very specific situations as we know your word does, that everyone under the sound of my voice would be eternally transformed forever. And we're going to give you the glory in advance. It's in Jesus' name, the resurrecting name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen and amen. We are in a series called Bold Love. And we wanted to pause as a church since we just launched about four Months ago, before we just start talking about all sorts of different topics and scriptures and passages, we wanted to pause and say, what is worship? 
Like before we talk about this two, three years from now, like what even is it? Why do we worship? Why would we take a moment to sing songs? Is it just about the songs? It's so much more than that. So John 4.23 says this, Yet a time is coming, these are Jesus' words, and has now come where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. It says in Scripture, that the Father is seeking a specific kind of worshiper. Not a specific kind of style, not a specific instrument, not a certain you know, guitar or, or worship leader, but the Lord searches throughout all the earth searching for a posture of surrender to Him. And the Lord doesn't have to use us. We're not anything crazy special. He can use any one of us. He can use someone else. If we don't want to accept our calling, He'll find someone else. He searches throughout the whole earth to say, who would be fully committed to me? And that's what worship is all about. The way we stretch out our arms, the way that we come in with a reverent posture. And so I think wherever you're coming from, you need to know these five things. Every believer in your life, if you are just starting out with Jesus, if you've been walking with God for years, all of us need these five things to make it really simple. Scripture, prayer, everybody say worship, worship, community, and impact. See, a lot of us get stuck in our walk with God. We look back five, ten years ago, and we say, oh man, those were the days when I was on fire for Jesus. It's probably because we're missing one of these things in our life today. Are you with me? See, we can't just read our Bible at our house every once in a while and watch a TV message or something. We have to be in a community. We can't just worship God from our recliner. We have to spend time in prayer, and our worship is in vain if it doesn't go out of here. Are you with me? If our worship is just vertical and not horizontal, I believe it's in vain. If our worship of the Father, the one who created the moon, the sun, the stars, who created you and I, as that message transforms transforms us, if it doesn't bleed out into outside of these four walls, why are we even here? Are you with me? We say this message every Sunday. We are for the one. Everybody say for the one. We are for the one who would never step foot in a church. We are for the one who you have a close relationship with, but they are far from God. They are close to you, but far from God. These are the reasons why we worship. So I want to show you kind of a progression of where we've been. We are now week number four, and we're going to be talking about all the morning about how worship is a weapon. So the title of my sermon this morning is this, Living on Offense. Living on Offense. Now, let me just preface uh, I asked you guys a few weeks ago as your pastor if I could share a sports analogy like every few weeks. Okay, I was, I was a little crazy busy this week, and uh, I, I have like two sports analogies this week. Uh, can I ask your permission for that? Forgiveness in advance. Okay, thank you. I'm going to share it anyway, so if you're mad at me, I'm going to share it anyway. So I want you to know this before we jump into the specific main point is I want you to win. I want you to win. And I don't want you to win the greatest house or the lottery or all these things. I mean, that would be awesome. But I want you to win in your faith. I want you to win. And I I felt like as I was writing this message, thinking about how worship is a weapon, I couldn't start without letting you know that the reason why we're going to talk about this is because the Lord wants you to win. It says that in Scripture, God is for you. He is not against you. And the moment we say, God wants me to win, we take our version of a win and we settle for the things of this earth. 
And we say, okay, then if God wants me to win, then he wants me to have the biggest house, the best car, the greatest clothes, the greatest influence. But when scripture says a win, a win is what does it look like to live in peace, joy, righteousness, faith? What does it look like to die to self and live in freedom? Are you with me? But I want you to win. Turn to your neighbor and just say, I want you to win. Turn to the person behind you and say, I want you to win. So you have to know this, and I'm going to get a drink of water here as I share this. Number one, we are in a spiritual battle 24-7-365. Maybe that's a good moment to take a drink because we've got to let that sink in for a second. We are in a spiritual battle. Everybody say 24-7. 24 7 365 in the moment i bring up the topic of a spiritual battle or spiritual warfare everybody's like okay don't get weird on me don't get all weird on me talking about demons and witches and all this stuff like can you just talk about like the 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 neat and simple things of the bible but uh all of us i think wherever you're coming from we can relate to what it's like to have negative thoughts go through our head how many negative thoughts did you have this week just literally pause and think about that you don't have to share that with your neighbor maybe you want to But how many negative thoughts did you have about yourself, about someone else, about something? Like, let's just be real. Let me give you some examples. Fear. Waking up in the middle of the night, imagining someone doing something terrible to your family. Fear. Worry. Constantly thinking your boss is about to fire you and what would happen if you did get fired. Insecurities. Obsessing over the comments people made about your body image in your childhood. Accusation. Being blamed for something you didn't do. It says in scripture that the enemy is the father of lies. He is the accuser. Anxiety. Being constantly anxious about what other people are thinking about you. If you can relate to one of these, can you just raise, I can relate to one of these. Let's just be honest. So what we want to do with these thoughts is we want to normalize them and say, well, I just need to go to this person and get that self-help and do all those things. Yes, that's somewhat helpful. But at the end of the day, you are in a spiritual battle for your soul, for your mind, for your attention. If you don't know that, then scripture will not make sense. Worship will not make sense. If you don't know that you're in a battle, worship will just be about singing a song. I don't really like that music. I kind of like this music. It'll become about a preference. I love this quote on a lighthearted note, but it's also really deep and convicting. I heard someone say this one time. If you aren't running into a demon once... You were probably reading this while I was talking. Let's just be real. If you aren't running into a demon once in a while, you're probably running the same way as them. So, maybe you've never experienced spiritual warfare. Maybe you're fighting to live for Jesus, but but maybe you haven't experienced that pushback. I'm assuming you have... But maybe you have and you didn't realize it. Maybe all those negative thoughts have been dominating you, dominating you, and you can't stop scrolling on social media. You can't stop worrying about your past. You can't stop these terrible thoughts. I don't know where you're coming from, but I know this. If, if you don't believe you're in a battle, if you don't believe that you are in a battle, you won't see a need for armor or for ammo. If, if, you, if you don't believe that a spiritual battle is taking place, why would you ever need armor? If you, don't, if you believe these anxious negative thoughts are just your biological makeup and you're not in a spiritual battle, why would you need any ammo from the Word of God? And this is where many of us get stuck. And we repeat the same thing over and over. See, many of the things that are keeping the greatest leaders from moving to the next level are not 10,000 things, they're three things. 
It's the same thought that you've had since you were five years old, that you weren't good enough. It's the same thought that you were too ugly or you didn't have what it takes. And it's something that the enemy put in your heart that you have believed in and you have clung to like it's the vine. And you're being held back. So Ephesians 6, anybody with me this morning? Just nod your head, okay? I had a lot of pushback this week to share this message with you. I don't think that's a mistake. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is the armor of God. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against our boss or our parent or the person who abused us or neglected us. Your struggle is against Satan. Your battle is not against the person that hurt you. The person that you are withholding forgiveness from right now, they're not your enemy. Satan is your enemy. And he wants you to live in bondage against the powers of this dark world, against the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Verse 13, therefore put on, everybody say, the full armor, the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, to be on the firm foundation because all of us are going to have trials. All of us are going to go through something that was unexpected, a sudden death, a sudden loss, something. Jesus promised us we would go through these things. He didn't say it would be rainbows and unicorns. He said, you will have trouble, but I've given you peace. So verse 14 goes on to say, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then it ends with keep on praying, pray in the spirit and all kinds of prayers and requests. So this is a scripture that usually we want to like kind of slap on with the kids ministry and say, hey, they talked about the armor of God today. Isn't that cool? They have like a little shield they brought home and it just stops there. And we think, oh, that's a cute story. But I want to point out something that's really, really important that the Lord was teaching me as I was studying this passage and as a mentor was teaching me. The armor that they talk about in this passage is primarily covering the front side of your body. You're like, why does that matter? That's really cool, Andy. Thanks for sharing that. This is super, super important. There's no mention of your back being covered. Can we just pause there? The armor of God is primarily on the front side. The armor of God is not just individual, but it's corporate. So that means other people cover our back. Is anybody with me this morning? We cover each other's back through prayer. We fight for one another in prayer because we were made to live, and I want to put this on the screen, you were made to live on offense. That's why the armor of God is primarily on the front side. You are not made to live on your heels in life. You are not made to react to everything. I can't believe this person did that. I can't believe. And living in offense, you are made to live on offense, on attack. This is really cool that the the Lord was pointing this out to me because uh, I've lived a lot of my life on my heels. I don't know about you. And, uh, The second main point is where I want to go with this. We must recognize where we have control. Now, the moment I say where we have control, most of you are going to think, well, Andy, isn't God in control? Yes, he is sovereign. He is Lord of all. He holds all of our lives in the palm of his hand. I love that song. He holds the whole world, right, in his hands. Yes, but there are certain places where he has given you and I free will. Everybody say free will. 
He's given us places that are actually under our control that we can decide what we do with in this life. There was a uh, drill that we used to do in basketball, and this is where I'm going to share the sports reference, and you're going to be like, okay. Turn to your neighbor and just say, wake up. Turn to the person behind you and just say, okay, come on. All right, turn to the person behind you and say, wake up. <laughs> just making sure you're with me. All right, so there was this basketball drill that we did in high school, and it was one of my least favorite drills. I hated this drill. It was called the X drill. And the coaches thought this was hilarious. I think it was sick that they thought it was hilarious. That's a side story. High school sports are kind of crazy. Can we just admit that? The coaches put their, okay, all right, don't let me get on. So, so we did this drill, and there would be two people at the baseline. There would be two people at the free throw line, and it was 2v2. Two two. And I would be facing this way. If the, the hoop is right here, and those two people would be facing me, and the coach would be over here with the basketball, and he would just throw it off the backboard. And we had to fight for the ball, okay? I had three concussions playing basketball. Maybe one of them came from this. I'm not sure. I think it did, actually. I just remembered. I did not plan to say it that way either. Concussion. All right. But they would throw the ball off the backboard, and, and we would fight for it. I mean, we'd get bloody lips. I mean, apparently concussions. We would get torn up. And you ended up, like, hating the other guys for two seconds on the other team because it is whatever it takes to get the ball. But let me tell you, the team that lost was the team that was always on their heels. The team that lost was always the team that was reacting, not being proactive. The team that lost was taking an apathetic stance. Whoever got the first step would win. I hate this drill, just to remind you. But Chuck Swindle, he says this in this quote, 10% of life is what happens to you. 90% is how you respond. All of us in the past two, three years have been through something. Maybe you lost someone. Maybe you lost a business. Maybe you feel super alone and isolated because of what COVID did to the society. I don't know where you're going from, but all of us have something in our past. Everybody say, my past. All of us have something in our past that we want to use as an excuse for everything we do in the future. Well, I was treated like this, so I'm going to treat people this way. Well, this happened to me at work, so this is how I'm going to treat people as the boss. This is how I was treated as a player, so now this is how I'm going to treat people as a coach. Are you with me? But 10% of life is really just what happens to you. 90% is how you respond. And I want to take this a step further. Reacting is much different than responding. Most of us spend our whole life just reacting to everything. I can't believe that person cut me off in traffic. Bleep, 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 bleep. We're reacting. I can't believe that person walked out of my life. I can't believe that person said that. We're just reacting. We're just reacting. We're reacting to everything. It's much different than responding. Have you ever noticed Jesus always responded? He didn't react. He responded. Jesus didn't take a passive posture to life and just say, yeah, it's whatever. No, he had a very thought out. Obviously, he is God, fully God, fully man. Like, yes, we, we want to be more like him. But he always responded to the things of life. Cool, calm, under pressure. And these are the three different ways I think that we often choose to live our life. Number one is this, living from offense. What I would call A is the victim mindset. Well, the world is out to get me. I can't believe that person said that to me. Everybody's out to get me. Nobody likes me. Nobody wants to be my friend. We are taking a victim posture. No armor, no ammo. 
Or B, we're stuck on the fence. Maybe we're just going through life just kind of like, you know what? I'm kind of kind of in with Christianity. I'm kind of cool with like doing good works. And we're just on the fence. And I heard a pastor say this. I've shared this before. He said, you can't carry a fence and a cross at the same time. Being on the fence is a decision in itself. Or C, everybody say aggressive. See, the team that wins, the people that win in life, the people that win in faith are the ones who are aggressive, who go after it, who say, I'm not going to live on my heels. I was made to live on attack. That the word of God is not just something I quote when I'm with my back up against the wall. It's the word of God that I quote to start my day to say, in Jesus' name, today is the day that you have made. The enemy is defeated in Jesus' name. You're declaring the victory. You're saying, no, no, worship is a weapon. I'm on offense. And yeah, I can't control everything that happens to me, but I can control a few things. My attitude, my effort, and my response. You know, I, I know a lot of things have happened to us, like I said, in the past few years. But I think when you are pressed, when you are squeezed under the pressures of life, what comes out of you? When someone cuts you off, when someone didn't do the work that you thought they were going to do, when they didn't turn in that report on time for your business, when they didn't show up at the family gathering, like what comes out of you? When you are squeezed, what comes out of you? I think this, pressure reveals character. It's not really the mountaintop that reveals who you are, it's the valley. When everything is breaking loose, when all hell is breaking loose, who are you? Are you taking an apathetic stance? Are you just like, I have no idea? Are you taking an offensive stance? God, I can't believe that you did this to me. I can't believe, and you're blaming everything on others. Or are you taking a posture that's on offense? That's calm, cool, collective, and says, you know what, God, I know what your word says. And I know that the enemy's already defeated. And I already know that you're going to work this out for good. Number three, as we continue to move forward, and I've already said it, worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon. So how is it a weapon? Turn to your neighbor and just say, it's not what you thought. <laughs> Turn to the person behind you and say, it's not what you thought. When I say weapon, I know a lot of things go through our mind. But I want to bring you to an Old Testament, an Old Testament passage in Joshua where they're about to take Jericho. And notice what the Lord gave them to win the battle. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered, everybody say delivered. Delivered. I've delivered Jericho into your hands. I've already given you the victory. Along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city. Now how crazy dumb would this be if someone did this today? How dumb did they have to look? It says in Scripture it would be foolishness to the world. You're fighting a battle and you're marching around singing? That sounds ludicrous. Verse 4, have seven priests carry the trumpets on the ram's horns. What is Joshua thinking? I would love to know. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. Verse 5, when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Wow, even crazier. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, he called the priests together. He said, I don't know what God just told me, but I'm going to just share this. This is what we're doing. Take up the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, we read it like he's all confident. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't. Take up the Ark of the Covenant. The Lord, I'm just going to assume he wasn't. And have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. Okay. So this 
the scholars, I was reading this passage, I'm studying it. I don't want to just know what the Holy Spirit is saying. I want to know what other people have said about it who have studied this more in depth than I have. He said this, he said, uh, if I had been Joshua, I would have asked God for another plan. I would have asked for tanks, artillery, or an air force. What God gave Joshua was worship. Worship was what won the battle. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, this is what Paul says, to put it in a nutshell. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war like the world does. Verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. See, the kingdom of God is completely upside down than what the world looks like. It's different. It's set apart. It's completely countercultural. On the contrary, we have divine power. Everybody say, divine power. Your worship If the Spirit of God is living in you, it's the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. What do you think happens when you start to worship? Let me tell you what happens. Satan has to flee. Like, let's just get really real. I have sometimes these night terrors where I wake up in the middle of the night, 2, 3 in the morning, and I can feel the presence of the enemy. Have you ever had a moment like that where you're like, I just feel fear right now for no reason. And I am crippled with anxiety. I remember a mentor pulling me aside one time. He said, Andy, in those moments, yes, text people for prayer. But what you need to do is you get on your knees and you start worshiping. You say, in Jesus' name, God, I thank you that the enemy has no power here. God, I thank you that you have given me the victory. You have already delivered me from Satan's hand. He is small as this. You are the light. Are you with me? Worship is a breakthrough. So when we lift our hands... We're not just, okay, the the worship leader, the pastor told me, we are warring in the heavenly realms when we lift our hands. You know what it says about Moses? They had to keep his hands up to win the battle. Are you with me? Come on. We fight with this. We fight from here. I saw this amazing sermon this past week from Stephen Furtick. He said, bent knees break chains. Bent knees break chains chains. You don't need the new job. You don't need the new information. You don't, the way you win is by saying, God, I know you have delivered me again. You will deliver me one more time and another time. Your faithfulness will continue through age and age. And the enemy has to flee because you are taking an aggressive stance. Well, God, I I think it says in your word that uh, one time that you would deliver me. The enemy will, this is what he said in this sermon. He said, The enemy will attack all of us, but it is up to us if he devours us. Are you with me? He said, when you start to get on your knees, you're making a decision to say, I will not be devoured. I have the victory already in Jesus' name. So to say it bluntly, worship is not just singing along. It's activating a weapon. Most people have never known worship to be a weapon. Worship is just about our style and our preference. And I love that. Too. And, and that's beautiful. And God speaks through that. And I have my own preferences that I love. I love gospel style music and rap and all those things. You're like, rap, really? I heard somebody laugh. So look at this. Psalm 47.1. I shared this at the very beginning. Psalm 47.1. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. See, in the West, we all of our worship comes from here. All of our worship, I don't know why I did that. I guess I could do this. Okay, all of our worship comes from here. Well, I, I saw God do that one time. All of our intellect. But, but when you go to other countries, when you go to third world countries, they clap their hands, they shout with joy. And it's not just something that looks cool or it's a style. It is a weapon that they are activating. It says in Scripture, Psalm 47 right here, 
the scholar pointed out the Hebrew word clap in Psalm 47. It's more than just striking your hands together. It is a weapon of warfare. The Hebrew word takah means to thrust or drive a weapon. This is the same word used in the Old Testament to describe thrusting a sword into battle. So uh, I I told you I'd share one more sports reference. Are you with me this morning? I can't help it. I'm sorry. Have you ever been to any game? Does not have to be NBA playoffs, although we know that's the best, all right? Any, Any sports game? No, not better than March Madness, probably, even though I love the NBA, but... Have you ever been to any football game, hockey, tennis match? I don't know if this would apply to tennis. It's really quiet there. Uh, But have you ever noticed, let's say, basketball, football, maybe hockey. I don't know how hockey works. But let's take basketball and football for an example. When the team is losing, okay, and, and what happens to the stadium often? When they're just getting destroyed, everything is silent. And then you got those jerks that are like, boo, right? It's like, you paid $200 to be here. You're going to boo your home team? All right, I'm sorry. But, but what happens, I've seen this happen in sports over and over. The, the, the whole arena is silent. And they're losing by like, or I'm using basketball, I'm sorry. They're, they're losing by like 10 or 15, and it's towards the fourth quarter. It's towards the end of the game. And then one, start, one dude just starts going, and then 10 more join, and then 1,000 more join, and then the whole 10,000 people are clapping, but they're losing by 20. How does that make any sense? And then what happens? The whole atmosphere changes. Like the players that just thought they're getting their butts kicked and they would never have a chance to win this game, all of a sudden their whole mindset changes. They're like, wait, I can feel the power of the atmosphere change. I can feel the crowd around me. And what happens in Scripture is when we are losing, when we feel defeated, but we get on our knees, we start to clap our hands, even in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of feeling like nothing is going my way, all of a sudden the atmosphere just starts to change. Worship changes things. It says in Scripture, I command my soul to praise. I command my soul. I will clap even when I don't feel like it. I will lift my hands even though it looks dumb because I am declaring the victory with my body. Not just my voice, not just my mind, but with my body. I've already won. I'm going to start dancing. It says David danced like he was a crazy person before the Lord. Undignified. But worship... Even though it's a weapon, you, you might not know how to, to activate it or when to do it. And so, last two points, we'll be done in just a moment. Anybody with me this morning? We're getting after it this morning. Come on, let's go. I'm not kidding. Let's go. I'm sick and tired. Number four is this. Worship fights for perspective. Everybody say perspective. Uh, I want to put this on the screen. Sometimes I don't like being too rehearsed, but I'm just going to put it up here. What we need most is not to land the blessing, but to land on our knees. Because really the ultimate blessing is not getting the thing you're praying for. The ultimate blessing is more of Jesus. Like the ultimate blessing, at the end of the day, all of that stuff will fade. What you want to crave more of is intimacy with Jesus. Jesus wants you to be blessed. Jesus wants you to be rich, not with the rich things of this world. He wants you to be rich in intimacy. He wants you to be rich in peace, in joy, in communion with Him. I promise you, He's for you. So the real blessing is landing on your knees because then you open yourself up to more of who He is. 
you take a different stance, a different posture. I want to put this up on the screen. Worship is the breakthrough. Worship is the breakthrough that is always in your control. See, we're praying, God, give me a breakthrough. I need a breakthrough in my finances. I need a breakthrough with the relationship I am so praying for. I need a breakthrough. But to take it a step further, worship is the breakthrough. Worship is the breakthrough on the next slide that does not require a change of circumstances. It's a breakthrough that's always in your control. Because when you worship, when you take a different stance, a posture, it shifts your perspective. In one moment, you saw God was out to get you, and the world is terrible. And why would it, and you start to say, no, no I'm going to command my soul to praise. I know that person hurt me. They said crazy things about me. They mistreated me. But I'm going to worship and say, God, I thank you that you are my deliverer, that you are my healer, that no weapon formed against you. All of a sudden, my perspective shifts. Same event, different perspective. Are you with me? This is all in our control. God's not going to force you to do it. We often pray, God, would you just get me out of this? Would you just get me out of this uncomfortable situation? I can't count how many times I've been in an uncomfortable situation the past year. It's been a crazy year. And in our flesh, what do we pray? God, get me out of this. God, get me out of this job. I'm sick and tired of them overlooking me. God, get me out of this relationship. They don't treat me right. All these things. But I think what maturity marks is you're not praying for an escape anymore. You're praying for endurance. Maturity in Christ says, God, I know you called me here. I know that you appointed me to this job. I know that I'm supposed to be here. So even if I feel like I want to get out of it, we change our prayer to, God, get me through this. Another way to look at it would be this, God, now, I don't need you to change my circumstances. I need you to change me in my circumstances. See, oftentimes God will keep you at the same job in the same city for a lot longer than he even anticipated for or wanted you to be there for because he's still waiting for your obedience. He's still waiting for you to say, God, you're doing something in me here. You're doing something in me. And until we recognize that, we're not ready to move forward to what he has next. Come on, are you with me? We're just... We just slow everything down. We say, God, I've had the same friend group that's terrible to me and they, they're not good influences on me. They, pour, they pull me into the party scene. They pull me into all these temptations. I'm ready to move on. What's next? God is saying, I'm ready for you to change your group of friends so that you can move on to what's next. But we just push pause. We say, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable here. I like being here. And we miss out. The last main point of worship being a weapon, number five, is this. What we speak, what we speak determines our perspective. So I shared this with you a few weeks ago. I really want this to be downloaded into your heart. I have it in my notes here. What holds our, everybody say, attention. What holds your attention, what you fix your eyes on, what you listen to, the movies that you watch, everything that you are consuming over it. What holds, everybody say, your attention? What holds your attention holds your worship. If, if you spend 99% of your time watching a specific TV show, you will begin to worship that TV show, whether you realize it or not. It will be the center point, the focal point of your whole life. So then what we worship holds our, everybody say heart. It holds our heart. Go ahead and stand to your feet with me. So, 
what, what's in our heart, if what we put our attention on holds our worship, what holds our worship holds our heart. Everybody say heart. What holds our heart eventually will come out of our mouth. So if we're harboring bitterness towards a neighbor, to, towards someone that did something, what's going to come out of our mouth effortlessly will flow from that place. Proverbs 18, 21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. I came here to tell someone, to encourage someone this morning. Sometimes you don't need to change your situation. You need to change what you speak over your situation. I want to take that a step further, and I've seen this happen in life so many different times. Two people... I think I put this in the notes, yeah. Two people can go through the same situation. Let's pause here. Two people can go through the same situation, the same hurt, the same pain, the same kind of event, same season, and come out with two totally different perspectives because of what they spoke over the same situation. Two people could both be hurt and abused and neglected or or mistreated or go through things. They could come out with two totally different perspectives about what even happened just because of what they spoke over what happened. Are you with me this morning? What we speak doesn't just inform what we're telling others. It will inform our soul. Okay, so you were neglected, you were hurt, you were abused. What you speak is not negative declaring things over that person. What you speak is God's promise that he will restore you, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper, that he will work all things together for good. All of a sudden, you have a different perspective. You say, I was hurt. I did go through that. I did feel mistreated. But guess what? My perspective is now shifted just because of the words that are coming out of my mouth. Like, I can't tell you how many times Leans and I, we're about to take on a ministry week, and we look at our to-do list, we look at what's going on, and one of us might accidentally start just, man, oh my gosh, this is crazy, you know? And then one of us will say, you know what? God's going to get us through this. And if he has called us, then he has equipped us to do this. He will empower us to move forward. All of a sudden, different perspective. My day is completely different just because of the words coming out of my mouth. So I don't know where you're coming from, but uh, this story of this guy comes to my mind. I was talking to a guy from 12 Stone Church, and he came and attended one of our services. And he said, Andy, he said, you need to know this. He's a really intense guy. You ever met someone that's like, just like, everything they tell you is so important. He's got his hand on my shoulder. He's like, Andy, you need to know this. The sword of the spirit is not something you fight with. It's something you stick in the ground and declare victory with. Ephesians 6, 17, take the helmet of salvation, which is the sword and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I came to encourage someone, you can put this on the screen. We don't fight for the victory. We fight from the victory. You don't have to fight for it and say, I got to make this work. I got to like wield my sword and quote the word of God. You fight from the victory that the enemy has already been defeated. It says, while Jesus was on the cross, he disarmed. He disarmed every power and authority that's coming against you because of the cross, because of the resurrection, because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So Joshua 6, 2, let me remind you of the story we read. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. 6, 5 says this, when you hear the sound, have the whole army give a loud shout. See, the Lord can give you the promised land in your life. The Lord can give you the promised land. 
but you still have to take possession of it. The Lord can give you a promise, but you still have to take it for yourself. How many promises of God are on your life just sitting on the shelf, waiting for you to say, I'm going to step in, I'm going to surrender all of this. The Lord told them, go ahead and proclaim the victory. My wife hates this, but uh, sometimes I will trash talk the enemy. And uh, I don't know if that's okay or not. I'm just being real. My humanity before you, is that okay as your pastor? Uh, sometimes there's moments where we are tempted to trash talk other people when we should be trash talking the enemy. Come on. There's moments where all of the things that are happening to us, we want to blame someone else. We want to say and shake our finger at God, shake our fist at God, when really we should be taking the same anger and the same strength and saying, you know what, I'm going to rebuke the enemy with this strength and with this anger right now. I'm not going to take it out on someone else. I'm going to say, you don't have to swear at the enemy. I'm not telling you that, all right? You don't have to do anything crazy. But what I'm saying is, the Lord has already given you the victory. Why don't we act like it? Why don't we walk like it? It's not an arrogance. It's a humble confidence that says, I'm not going to be on my heels any longer. I'm going to stand before the Lord and declare the victory. I will declare and and show through my worship. I've already won. Guys, you've already provided the thing I'm praying for. You've already done it because you are outside of time. I mentioned rap earlier, and a lot of you are like, okay, I'm not into that. I'm not going to rap for you. But what I'm going to tell you is this. There's been so much of my life I have lived on my heels, reacting to everything, believing the lies of the enemy. And for the only purpose, if it's just this, that the Lord gave me this passion for hip-hop and rap, is when I would go from a place of feeling like I'm taking an offense to everything that's happening in my life, all of a sudden I would start to declare all of these words of God that are on my life over and over and it'd get faster and faster. And I love rap because I am ruminating, I am meditating upon the promises of God. I go from being on my heels to being on offense. And I came here to encourage someone this morning, just like he encouraged me, it's time for you to live on offense. It's time for you to take the word of God. It's time for you to take your worship seriously and say, I'm no longer gonna take a passive approach to life anymore. I'm going to take this and I'm going to say, God, you have given me the victory. In Jesus' name, would you pray with me? Father, I'm so thankful for the victory that came through the cross, God. I'm so thankful, God, that the weapons that we wage war with are not weapons that we have to go out and get and protect ourselves and do all these things, but the weapons you've given us is by getting on our knees and lifting our hands and declaring that you are who you say you are, that we're already seated in heavenly places with you, Lord, that the enemy is a worm burning in the ash, but it says greater is he in I than he who is in this world. So God, I thank you for the breakthrough that you're giving this church today through activating the weapon of worship. So right now with heads bound, eyes closed, I just challenge anyone in the room, anyone in the room that wants to make a decision to follow Jesus, to receive the free gift of salvation. You know with heads bound, eyes closed that you are one foot in and one foot out for the Lord. 
Maybe you grew up in church and you've strayed from him. Maybe you've never heard the gospel before, that Jesus died for you, that he loves you. He's given himself for you. If you want to receive that message today, would you just raise a hand? With heads bowed, eyes closed, would you just lift a hand to the Lord if you want to give your heart to Jesus today? For anyone who's watching this online or anyone in the room that wants to pray this prayer, pray this silently in your heart with me. Father, forgive me. For I've tried to take life into my own hands. I've tried to make myself God or something else God, and I want to put you in your rightful place to be my king now. Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the blood of Christ that was shed for me on the cross so that I would be made right with you again. Lord, I thank you that you didn't stay in the tomb, but you rose three days later, that the promise of resurrection life is not just for you, but it's for me. That one day I will rise again with you, that I will meet you in glory, that I will see you face to face, God. And so I pray even now for all of us that are praying this prayer, fill us with the Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill us till we're overflowing. Give us a boldness and a joy that would go out to change the world for your name. And it's in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen. Would you give him another shout of praise? Come on, you can give him all you got. You're so good. You're so worthy, God. And we worship you as we end. And God is good. As we end this morning and we sing this song again, this is how I fight my battles. Knowing now what we just shared I challenge you to worship that way. Worship on offense. That doesn't mean you have to like throw something through a chair or something, all right? But what I'm saying is take a posture that says, God, you have won it all for me. You've won it all. And watch how this week changes for you. Let's worship.